So the reading tonight is taken from uh, John chapter 4, uh, and it's starting at verse 4, and the whole chapter is titled, Jesus Talks with a Samaritan Woman. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Earlier in the service we had watched a video montage of the Rolling Stones performing their hit song I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Right, so the question you're asking is what's the Rolling Stones got to do with this story? Well, hopefully you'll work it out as we work through the sermon. That song by the Rolling Stones is quite tame by today's standards. 
but it was banned in 1965 because of what it was suggesting. Mick Jagger was singing about the fact that he couldn't get satisfaction. He couldn't get satisfaction from what was the received wisdom in society or what they were advertising on the radio or the fact that his girlfriend wouldn't sleep with him. If he could have filled, fulfilled those things, if he could have got what he wanted, would he have been truly satisfied? And to answer that question, I go back 3,000 years to the time of a man called Solomon. He was a king. He had absolutely everything. He was on top of the world. He was the most powerful man. He was the richest man in the world. He was really, really clever. He was so clever that people used to come, kings and queens used to come to him for advice. He's written books that today people still refer to for the wisdom that he had. He built amazing temples. He built um, beautiful landscape gardens. And he could have sex whenever he wanted. He had 700 wives and 300 mistresses. He had everything he could possibly want, when he wanted it, at the click of his fingers. How did he conclude whether he was satisfied with that? To quote him literally, he said, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What he's saying is you can have all of that stuff, and you can have more of it than you could possibly imagine, but still it doesn't satisfy you. You see, what Mick Jagger didn't realize in his song is those things that he wanted were never really going to satisfy him. Let me give you another example. I don't know if any of you have ever done these personality questionnaires. Well, the fashionable one at the moment is called an Enneagram. And I come up on the Enneagram as what's called an achiever. All right? It means I tend to like to stand up the front of people and talk. It also means that I get satisfaction from achieving things, which is why I have a tendency to apply for new jobs. But the thing I've learned having never worked in the same job for more than five years, is actually the, never, the next job doesn't actually scratch the itch. It doesn't do for me what I want. You think it does before you get it, but when you get it, you see another job which is paid a bit better, which is a little bit more responsibility. But those things come with consequences. But maybe it's just me and Solomon. Did any of you read the uh, uh, article in the newspaper recently, a YouGov survey? 18% of 16 to 25-year-olds said life is not worth living. That's a horrendous statistic, that at the age of 16 to 25, you've already come to that conclusion about life. There were loads of things about social media and comparison and everything, but even if it's only half true. It's horrendous, isn't it? And I'll leave you with one more quote from Bob Geldof, who's always really honest about what he feels, doesn't he? 
when he was asked whether he was satisfied, he said, not at all. He said, I'm unfulfilled as a human being. Everything I do is because I'm frightened of being bored, because I know that what is down there in, in these holes, and I'm frightened of it, it makes me depressed. Not a good start, is it? Last time, I introduced you to a man called John. He was a fisherman and a follower of Jesus. And one of the things he did was he wrote an account of his time with Jesus because he wanted to convince you that Jesus was not just an ordinary man, that he was the Son of God. We listened to some experts that told us that it's very, very likely, you know, it's... Uh, believed that John was definitely the author of this book. It was written whilst he was alive. And in fact, we have fragments of the um, text 30 years after it was actually written. So this is a really accurate account of Jesus' life. So what we're going to do again tonight is we're going to look at a story from, that John thought was really important that we should know about Jesus. And it's this encounter with a woman, the one that Rob kindly read us earlier. Let's just look a little bit about this woman. First of all, she was a woman. She was female. Now, a woman at that time, their status in society was not in the same way it is nowadays. They were treated, to some extent, not greatly different from property. In fact, I picked this quote up from um, um, Wikipedia or where else you pick these things up from, but it was a, a rabbinic quote about how you should treat women at the time of Jesus. And it said, one should not talk with a woman on the street, not even his own wife, and certainly not somebody else's wife because of the gossip of man. And it was forbidden to give a woman any greeting. It was just not appropriate to be speaking to a woman. It was really interesting that when the disciples came to see Jesus, they weren't shocked he was talking to a Samaritan, which was shocking. It was that he was talking to a woman. The second thing we notice about this woman is that she's been married five times. Now, being married multiple times was not unusual because of life expectancy and things in those days. And the rabbis used to say up to three was reasonable. Five was very unusual. But the thing that really marked her out was that she was living with someone who wasn't her husband. That was deeply, deeply shocking. That was why she was out at the sixth hour or noon, because no one went to collect water at noon. She was going out where the people wouldn't gossip about her, where people wouldn't see her. She was sneaking out in the middle of the day. You go in the evening or the morning when it's cooler to collect water. She was ashamed. The final thing we learned about her was that she was a Samaritan. If you're a good Jew, you do not mix with Samaritans. They were part of your nation seven or eight hundred years ago, seven hundred years before. And they broke off. They were defeated by the Assyrians that pulled them off into exile. And then you started to intermarry 
adopt some of their religious practices, compromise what you believe, and you were treated like pagans, worse than enemies. A good Jew like Jesus ought to have avoided Samaria. Many Jews walked many, many miles to avoid having to go through the ta- their area and avoid coming to contact with it. So the amazing thing is that Jesus actually spoke to this woman. That's the bit that's culturally difficult for us. We hear the story and he just chatted to her at the well, a bit like chatting to someone over a coffee. No. For a start, he shouldn't have been speaking to her because she was a woman. And if he got any idea of what sort of woman he was, she shouldn't have been um, mixing with her. And certainly not a Samaritan. But Jesus broke down those barriers. Now to understand what's going on, what I'm going to do is to spend most of our time just walking through this conversation between Jesus and this woman. Because it's quite significant just to understand the dynamic. So the first thing that happens is Jesus asks her for a drink. And she responds with complete surprise. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? And then Jesus says something really, really weird. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you'd have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, those of us that have been Christians know what Jesus is on about, but she didn't. She says, you've nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? She assumed he was going to get some water out of the well. Jesus then tries again. He puts it slightly differently, but says the same thing. He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. There's clearly a spiritual dynamic, a spiritual element to what he's trying to convey to this woman, isn't it? But she still doesn't get it. Sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming back to draw water from this well. She still thinks he's talking about physical water. So Jesus changes the subject. And he says, go call your husband and come back. This is awkward, isn't it? She replies, I don't have a husband. And Jesus responds by telling her all about her life. He says, you're right, you've no husband. The fact is, you have five husbands, you've had five husbands, and the man you're now living with is not your husband. Now, I've read commentators who've suggested that Jesus did this to point out the fact, the sin in her life, the things she's done wrong. I don't think Jesus needed to point that out to her. She'd snuck out at noon because she was ashamed of who she was. He'd done it for a particular reason. Because this was a revelation to her. A light bulb went on in her head. And she turned to Jesus and said, I see that you're a prophet. It's no longer a conversation about water and who we are. She's realized there's something special about this man. 
They then go on to have a conversation about where you should worship. Because the Jews said you had to worship in Jerusalem, and the Samaritans had this mountain in Samaria where they said you should worship God. And Jesus responds that um, that's no longer going to be, that's not be relevant in the future because you, God is spirit and you'll worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, I don't know quite what she makes of this or whether she fully understands the point that Jesus is making. But she then responds and says, I know that the Messiah, the Christ is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. I suspect she was sort of implying, well, I'm not quite sure you're right, but he's coming and he'll, make sure, he'll let us know whether this stuff about spirit is correct. The Messiah, the Christ, is the promised one of God who is going to come and bring the nation back to God. And both the Samaritans and the Jews were looking forward to this man coming. Jesus then turns to her and says, I am the one speaking to you, I'm he. I'm the Christ. I'm the Messiah. Something happens to this woman. Her eyes are suddenly opened. She's transformed. She leaves her water jar. She runs back to the town to tell them all about Jesus. In fact, to tell them all about the man who told her all about her. Gone is the shame. She's excited. She's transformed. She's full of it. In fact, she's so compelling, the people from the town come out to see who this man Jesus is. You see, I would argue she's discovered what this living water is. And that's had an amazing effect on her. So now the next question is, what is living water? What is it? And how can it make a difference in someone's life? Well, helpfully, John tells us, but not in this story. We've got to move forward a little bit to another conversation he has, where he says, it's recorded, he said, uh, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. So he's clearly talking about the same thing, isn't he? Thirsty, water, come and drink. He then goes on to say, rivers of living water will flow from within them. He's preaching the same sermon, isn't he? He's giving the same talk as he gave to this woman. So our friend John helpfully provides a little bit of explanation underneath. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. That's the Spirit of God. That's the Holy Spirit. That is God. This living water he was offering is God's Spirit. The Spirit of God. You see, I don't know what you believe about God. 
I don't know where you are in that journey. But if God is who God is, he created us. And if he created us, he created us for a reason. And that reason was to have a relationship with him. And when that relationship with him isn't there, when it's broken, that leaves a hole in us. And we try and fill that hole with stuff. It might be achievement. It might be money. It might be relationships. It might be success. And all of those things on their own are not necessarily bad. And they fill that hole for a bit of it. And then that hole comes open again. So we keep trying to patch it up with more and more. But it doesn't quite fit because you were created to have a relationship with God. And what Jesus is saying is that relationship with God can be restored. He likens it to receiving living water. And does it satisfy? Of course it satisfies because it's what we were created to be. We just overflow with him when he is there in us. So in closing, I just want to answer the question, how do you get this living water? Well, Jesus tells us in his first um, thing he says to the woman. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you'd have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The first thing we find is it's a gift of God. It's not something you earn. It's not something you're entitled to. It's not something you're born into. John helpfully gives us two stories pretty much back to back. We've just looked at one of them. This is the woman at Samaria. But just before that, he tells us the story of a man called Nicodemus. And it's not an accident these two stories he put together because they're in stark contrast. Nicodemus is a pillar of society. He's one of the leaders. He's a deeply religious man, well-respected in the community. People listen to him, no doubt married once, in contrast with a Samaritan woman who's a pagan who's been married five times, who's at the opposite end of the social scale. But Jesus offers that same gift to Nicodemus, the perfect man, and to the Samaritan woman whose life was in a mess. It's a gift. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how much you've done. This gift is for you. The second thing we learn is who it's from, who it is. It's Jesus. This gift comes from Jesus. You can't get it from any other place. You don't get it through mindfulness. You don't get it through whatever. 
other place you seek. The only source of this living water is Jesus. And you have to ask him. The only warning I will give you is it's easy to ask. But just remember you're asking the living God to come and live with you. Your life won't be the same. You'll receive that living water. You'll be satisfied. But you're asking someone to come and live and walk with you who happens to be your creator God. And if what I'm saying is true, you'll never be the same. So don't do this lightly. But I think it's really important that you do it. And finally, he will give you living water. God will come and live with you through the Holy Spirit in an incredible, amazing way. So, in conclusion, are you satisfied with your life? Do you believe the journey you're going on is going to lead to you being satisfied? Are you going to get what you seek, what you long for? Or are you like Mick Jagger, not able to get any satisfaction? Or possibly Solomon, you've got everything. You've got everything that you could possibly want. But yet there's still something missing. It doesn't do it for you. It's utterly meaningless. Or maybe you're in a bad place at the moment. And like those teenage, those young adults, you're actually not sure that life is worth living. What I leave you with is Jesus. He says to each one of you, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. 2,000 years ago, a woman invited the whole town to come and discover Jesus for themselves. And through John's writings, she invites you And she invites me to find the same.